This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In this episode, I sit down with Dan Shaw-Bell to talk about his new book, Back to Human. Get excited, because this is Tiny Leaps, Big Change. Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas, and in this episode, I'm sitting down with a uh, someone that I connected with a few months ago. And let me just start out by this. I was kind of surprised that I had the opportunity to connect with him. Uh, it's really interesting. He first came on my radar years ago when I first graduated college. My girlfriend bought me a book that was all about how to promote yourself in sort of the social media era. And I found it fascinating. It was such an interesting read. And so when this gentleman liked my comment on a random Instagram photo, I was like, oh, I got to message him and just see what happens. So I sent him a message. He turned out to be one of the nicest guys I've ever met. So I'm super excited to have the chance to speak with him about his new book, Back to Human, and and just about his career in general and what he's trying to help people accomplish and the problems he's trying to solve. So without further ado, uh, welcome to the show, Dan Shawbell. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on, and Greg. It's it's been a pleasure to meet you, and I look forward to discussing back to human and and ways to make, you know, big leaps in your career. Absolutely, I'm super super excited about this. Uh, let's start here. So the book is titled Back to Human. That's obviously, uh, I think, a pretty poignant title for for nowadays. Uh, we, we sort of live in this world where. Um, Many of us, I think, have sort of forgotten how to connect with another human. Uh, and, and so I just want to hear it from, from your mouth. What were you trying to accomplish with this book? The main message in the book is to use technology as a bridge to human connection instead of a barrier. Technology has created the illusion of connecting, yet in reality, people feel more disconnected, less engaged, more lonely, isolated and less committed to their teams and organizations as a result of the overuse and misuse of that technology. We're tapping our phones over 2,600 times a day, looking at our cell phone every 15 minutes. We think that we have an abundance of friends like on Facebook, 
Facebook has redefined friend. Uh, a person with an average of 150 friends only has three that they can actually count on in the, the state of an emergency. So if you're sick and in the hospital and you have 150 friends, only three of them will probably call you or visit you at the hospital. So people think they have so much. They think they have so many options. They think they're connected with so many people. Yet in reality, it's created a lot of weaker relationships and uh, made the workplace and our lives more dysfunctional. That makes a ton of sense. And I know that uh, that's something I've personally experienced and and, uh, I'm sure a lot of the listeners have experienced. Uh, I want to ask you, just in your words, why is it important to get back to human? And and the reason I ask is uh, very specifically because there are people who are obviously like proponents for, for this new world. And the argument is that that's the direction the world is going. It's not going to stop. So we may as well embrace it. In in your mind, why is it important to to actually take a step back and look at this? Regardless of the amount of technology that we see now and in the future and how it's going to shape our world and our lives, at the end of the day, we have basic core needs. And Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this safety and shelter and food, and then comes love and friendships. And so if you don't have that, you're not going to ever be self-actualized. You'll never reach your full potential as a person. And in our society, there's so much self-help advice out there about, you know, live your potential and work so hard. You'll never be able to do that if you're lonely and isolated and unhappy. Um, and so you can't, it's hard to make other people happy and inspire others when you yourself are lacking that happiness and fulfillment. That's why in chapter one of the book, it says focus on fulfillment And the main focus is on making sure that you're fulfilled first before you help other people on your team become more fulfilled in their job. That is so important. It's like if you're on a plane, they always say, you know, in case of emergency, make sure you help yourself first before supporting your family or the people around you Um, because you need to be secure for other people to then be able to be inspired and be helped as well. And so for me, this has been quite a journey. In the beginning of my career, as you may or may not know, I was strictly connecting with people online. I was very early into blogging back in 2006. I was leaving comments on every blog that mentioned personal branding. Personal branding was my platform back then. And I had so many digital connections, but it wasn't until later in life where I used those online channels in order to meet people in person. And that's really how I grew the network that I have today. I didn't just stay online. I realized the power of using tools that we have at our disposal for encouraging phone calls and in-person meetings. Um, And basically I, I did a whole study for this book with Virgin Pulse, which is one of the 400 Virgin brands under Richard Branson. We interviewed over 2000 employees and managers in 10 countries And we found very interesting things like uh, about 10% of the global workforce has zero friends at work and half of the global workforce have five or fewer. So that's a big Mm. problem because we're spending so much time at work. The average work week is 47 hours a week in America and the new vacation is not having your phone because we all have our phones wherever we go. What is vacation anymore? It's not having 
access to technology. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not having reception if you're on a beach in Barcelona, right? And that actually happened to me. <laughs> uh, but the point is, is that because we're always kind of working, it's made people more burned out and disconnected with their lives, which is not healthy and has inadvertently made them less productive and successful in the workplace. So it's come at a detriment to the companies that are trying to work them to the bone. Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. I'd love to, uh, where my head goes with this is I think of, uh, so Cal Newport, who I've mentioned on this show a million and a half times, uh, he has these sort of guidelines for how to create passion. So rather than finding something you're passionate about, uh, you sort of pursue these four things and, and that'll allow you to bring passion into what it is that you do. One of them is this sense of connectedness. And what I'm curious about while you were writing this book or doing the research to that supports it, uh, did you find that this, this, this world that we live in now where we are sort of all disconnected all the time, where uh, however many people have less than five friends at their job, have you found any correlation between that and somebody's ability to feel passionate about the work that they do? Not as much passionate, but team commitment is something I really wanted to focus on. Mm-hmm. So, and there's probably a connecting tissue there too, right? If you're if you're not as connected and excited about what you do, you're not, you're going to be disengaged and 85% of the global workforce is disengaged or actively disengaged. So Mm -hmm. there's certainly a connection between meaningful work and disengagement. Um, One of the most, I mean, the most fascinating thing that came from the research with Virgin was that if you work from home, you're much more likely to say that you don't want a long-term career at your company. Interesting. Yeah, because you feel more isolated and alone. If you're not seeing and hearing your colleagues, then there's a weaker connection there and you're more likely to take a job somewhere else. You're less engaged Mm -hmm. naturally. Yet two thirds, sorry, a third of the global workforce is uh, working from home at least once a week. Yet two thirds of those people who work from home are engaged in their job. Because they're lonely and they're isolated. So everyone talks about all the positives that come with remote work, like freedom and flexibility and lowering commuting costs, right? And the lower your commute, the less depressed you are. So if you have a long commute, it makes sense, right? If you have a long commute of two hours, you're probably going to be a little bit more depressed than someone who has a commute of 10 minutes, Right. right? And no one ever talks about the dark side of remote work, which is loneliness and isolation. And so this book, one of the most important things that's going to come out of it is a conversation about a new conversation about remote work and how we have to be careful about how it isolates employees. And you know, what's really fascinating. There was a a recent study that came out because 70% of all offices worldwide are open offices where you like literally see your colleagues right in front of you. Mm -hmm. Yet open offices are now proven to lower human connection in the workplace, which I think is so fascinating. That is really interesting. Because people need time alone, but they also need human connection at work. And open offices forces people to be around other people, yet 
people have the intrinsic need to have some solidarity. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Uh, Real quick, jumping back to the question of remote work. Uh, I find this so fascinating because as you mentioned, there is sort of a, a concentrated effort to uh, move more of the workforce towards remote work. I'm, I'm personally a fan of it myself, and and I know pretty much everyone in my network is. Uh, so how do we how do we how do we tackle that? How do we counter those dark sides that your study is starting to to recognize of being less connected, and as a result, not creating that long term commitment? Yeah, one of the things that we asked in the study was what's the best way to create a more socially connected workplace? And the response was more social parties, offsites, team building activities, a way to engage people in a human way. Yet only 20% of companies actually have offsites. Mm. So companies are really not invested in their company culture like they should be. Um, If you work remote, and I've worked remote for almost eight years now, and I also enjoy it, it's your responsibility to get yourself out there. Mm. Meaning that, you know, if you could go to the office, go once a week or once every two weeks, you know, depending on your situation. Right. You know, if you are lonely, then make new friends, you know, split up your work day accordingly, you know, make sure that every day you're at least seeing one person who you're friends with or you, or you want to be connected with you know, from a business perspective and mm-hmm. just do it. So like, even though I work from home, I'm constantly in New York city, as you know, like there's so much going on. So I'm always planning new things. You know, I'm going to see this show with one of my friends. I'm going to get lunch with another friend. I'm going to get coffee with two other people. I'm going to be on the phone. I'm doing podcasts and so many different things. And actually I think that's helped us as podcasters is that it's forced us to have calls. You right. can't do a podcast by texting. Right. If so like this is a way, this is a way to use technology and the new mediums to get more FaceTime, to be on the phone more. You know, it's just an example. We did a study with Polycom last year of 25,000 employees in 10 countries or 15 countries. And what we found was that technology is bringing out our basic human needs. It's forcing us to pick up the phone more and check our tone and and, and keep in touch with our colleagues mm-hmm. because again, we have these basic human needs that are not going to go away no matter how many robots are implanted in the sky and all around us in our kitchens and everywhere, <laughs> right? You can have Siri, Alexa and whomever else enters our world and it's still not going to matter. It's, we're still going to have these needs. And, and this book is a reminder of that. Hmm. I'm curious, uh, well, first, tell me a little bit about your business. Yeah, so I am the research director and partner at Future Workplace. So we do four events for HR executives at Fortune 500 companies every single year, two on the East Coast and two on the West Coast of America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I'm, as a research director, I've now conducted 45 studies interviewing about 90,000 people in over 20 countries since 2012. Uh, this year we four studies and for the book the, is the Virgin Pulse study of the 2000 managers and employees. So it's my favorite thing to do. I'm constantly doing new research mm-hmm. where we're, as a company, we're trying to help HR leaders prepare for the future of work. But really my content, um, the goal 
with this book and all of my books is my third book is to help people at every phase of their career from student to CEO. So this is a leadership book. Um, and aside from inspiring and supporting people our age throughout their full career path, I'm also advising companies and helping them improve their work environments so they're safer and healthier, which enables people our age to succeed in the workplace and be happier. So it's, it's both advising companies and being a champion of the employee. And you need to do both, in my opinion, in order to make that relationship work and for everyone to win. That makes sense. And so what I'm curious about is uh, after doing all this research, after uh, going through and taking the time to sort of take all of this and, and condense it down into book form, uh, how has that changed the way that you approach your your business and your company and, and the pieces of it that are under your control? It's made me appreciate the people I work with and it's forced me to always be meeting new people, learning from them mm-hmm. and being more patient with friendships, relationships and my business partners and employees because you know, we live in a world that's it's constant. Business is 24 seven. Uh, you know, you have to almost learn at the speed of business now. So it's a lot of stress on people. Yeah. And so chapter nine is called lead with empathy. And I think that is a chapter that I've really poured my heart into is the biggest, is the most challenging chapter, right? Yet the most powerful. And for me, being more empathetic and, and knowing that, you know, one of my business partners could, you know, have a sick husband and, and how to deal with that, I think is so important because things are always going to come and, and uh, there are always going to be obstacles and mistakes people make and hardships and trauma. And you have to take a step back as hard as it is and put yourself in their shoes. And if you're unable to do that, it's going to limit your relationship building ability. Today's sponsor is Babbel, the number one selling language learning app in the world. About two years ago, when Rachel and I went and visited my friend John in Paris, I remember spending a ton of time trying to learn how to speak French. Now, I'd taken French for years, but I really never had the opportunity to speak it and definitely not to speak it to native speakers. And so at the time, I was using this other app, a different learning app, And I wanted to brush up on my skills, get some experience speaking, maybe uh, learn some new words just to sort of prepare for the trip. And I knew I was never going to be fluent, at least definitely not by uh, the time that I was taking the trip. But at least it would help me sort of navigate, ask for questions, ask questions, so on and so forth. But the results were, uh, to say the least, disappointing. The experience was overall just bad. Like the apps just aren't designed that well. And all it ever really did was drill me on words. Basically, it was like I was using high-tech flashcards. So what was the point? But with Babbel, that's not how it works. Babbel's lessons are designed to get you speaking confidently in your new language and actually remember what you learn. Learn through interactive dialogues, speech recognition, and fun trainers and quizzes. Then, curated review sessions will reinforce what you've learned by bringing it back in new context, committing it to memory so you'll never struggle for the right words. Now, I wish I had Babbel back when I was going to Paris, but you better believe that I'll be using it for my next trip. To get 50% off your first three months, head over to babbel.com and use the offer code 
Tiny Leaps. That's babble.com and use the offer code Tiny Leaps for 50% off your first three months. Right, right. And that, that makes sense, obviously. Uh, I mean, I think for most people, whether you're in a leadership role or just starting out, uh, the more empathetic you can be to the other person, uh, the better off everyone's going to be. Um, let's let's transition here a bit. And this has been such a fascinating conversation about sort of the data and, and what that means on sort of a high level. And, and then hearing a little bit about how that changes uh, your behavior as somebody who is at the, the uh, higher levels in a company. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the practical side for the employee, whether it's the, the person who is in their entry level role listening now or uh, someone who is in sort of like a middle manager role. Like how, how do we use this information and, and sort of what are the two or three things we should be keeping in mind each day as we, we live our lives and uh, interact with our coworkers? Yeah, I think first and foremost, being really smart about what company you want to work for and who you want to work with. Mm. That is so important. And people forget that. They are like, oh, I just want to get a pay increase. I want to, you know, have this title. No, 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 no. Take a step back and think about why you want to work for the company and if you really enjoy or think you'll enjoy spending time with those people because we spend so much time at work. So if you hate the people you work with for 47 hours plus a week, (laughs) that's a problem because what I learned from the research too is that, and this should be pretty obvious to your listeners, is if you hate your job and the people you work with, it's not like you're going to come home from work and not be really upset and take that out on the people you live with. Right. Like that's going to ruin your life, not just your work. Mm -hmm. Right. So like you're going to come home, you'll complain about work and that's not good for your relationship. That's not going to be good for your friendships. So that's why I spend so much time trying to help companies improve their workplaces because if we can get work right, that's going to really help us get life right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing is, is really be smart about what company you work with. Make sure the values align, make sure you really believe in the leadership, make sure that you think you're in a role that's going to be challenging, but also play to your strengths. And there's a fine line of how to do that, uh, and be patient. Right. And so like I have friends who quit their jobs and they don't have something else lined up. No, no, no. You hold on your job as long as possible while being very selective of your next move Mm. because there's no rush. You're you're making a salary. It's much better to just choose the right place, you know, instead of bouncing around a million times. And I think our generation, it's just, we're just trying to job hop a lot and trying to figure out who we are and what we want and who we want to work for. I think it's about being really smart uh, about the decision of where you want to work in the beginning. By right. not just being interviewed, but in, by but interviewing other people. And there's a whole chapter called Hire for Personality. So if you're a leader, you know, you want to, you can hire for personality and train for skill, as they say, right? Like find people who you can really connect with and who you think will, you know, be a, a strong asset to the team, not just based on the results that they can achieve for you, but based mm-hmm. on the real humanity, you know, is this person easy to get along with? Do they have a positive attitude? All these things I found in, in, in the book, your uh, girlfriend was reading, right. Uh, promote mm-hmm. yourself. That's what we found yeah. in that study with American express was, 
you know, the top things managers look for when promoting number one is a positive attitude, right? And that you can't even measure that. That's, that's intangible, but it's so important. Think about all the people, you know, who have a positive attitude. You just want to hang out with them all day long. Yeah. Those with a negative attitude, you're like always looking for an excuse of what to do instead of being with them. So I would say that's one big thing. I would say another one that we found is, is ground rules. Ground rules is a big one, right? So I'll give you two quick examples is number one, uh, I interview people who said that in a meeting, everyone has to put their phone in the middle of the table and they can't use it. And then I interviewed someone else for the book who said that he and his wife were using their iPads and iPhones in bed and they created a rule that the phones were not allowed in the bedroom and that improved their marriage. So, you know, people are starting to create rules and boundaries with technology. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. And again, the goal is not to drop technology. We need it. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this podcast without technology. There would be no podcasting without technology, but right. let the tech not, don't have the technology be a crutch. Don't think it's going to do your job for you. Instead, leverage that technology to have everyone get to the same meeting at the same time, to organize an event, a birthday party, to help you do tasks that you don't really want to do. So you can focus on problem solving, on relationship building, on selling your products and services, on things that require more intellectual and emotional capital that a robot does not have, right? Right. Like if you work like a robot, you're going to be replaced by a robot, So like start doing things that are going to be more meaningful. And you know what? People don't want to do the jobs that robots are going to be doing. Like everyone's like so scared that robots are going to take our jobs. No, no, no. We did a study with Oracle recently and we found that over 90% of workers would trust orders from a robot. We want the robots (laughs) to actually do the jobs we don't want to do. That's the truth. And whether people admit it or not, think about, I mean, even for you, like you're always, you and I are like, how do we become more efficient? You know, from I do three studies. I've done up to three research studies simultaneously while running a business and doing all this books and all this other stuff mm-hmm. because I've created efficiencies by using technology. You know, and if it, without the technology, I would never be able to do that. It would be impossible. Um, and so I think that using technology in a way that eliminates the task you don't want to do to to give yourself and allocate more time to the things that are going to be more meaningful is so important. And, and so we should embrace artificial intelligence, at, not as, as a, a substitute for our jobs and, and the work we do on a daily basis, but as a way to remove the work that we don't want to do so we can focus on more meaningful, impactful work. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. Uh, so number one, uh, is to sort of be very picky and careful about the role that you do take on. And number two, create those ground rules. Uh, I want to I want to dive a little bit deeper into number one, because I know this is a topic that uh, you largely covered in uh, Promote Yourself, which was your second book. Yeah, was the that sec- second or the second first? book? Yeah, so Me 2.0 okay. was the first book. That was the first book okay. on how to use social media for your career and helps you get your first job out of school. Promote Yourself mm-hmm. was first job to management. And then this is the leadership book. Okay, got it. So so uh, with Promote Yourself, um, how can we, while being mindful of, of technology and its role in our lives and having those ground rules, how can we 
use it to create that leverage. And the reason I ask is uh, I hear being careful and picky about the job that you take. And I understand where you're coming from with that. But I know a lot of people that are listening, they're in the mindset of, well, I mean, I, I've just got to take a job, right? I've, I've just got to start getting paid. And, and if they're in a job that they hate, uh, Yes, they might stick with it until they find the next thing. But how do they create the scenario where the next thing is interested in them and giving them an offer? I love that question. And the reality is, is that you should think to lower your expenses as much as possible, as much as it stinks, like living with your parents when you graduate, I I think is one way to lower expenses. It's not glamorous, but it is definitely a way to lower expenses, which is very useful early in your career. Um, the other thing is in order, because a lot of people fear having resume gaps, but in today's world, you don't have to fear that. Just start a podcast, start a blog, start a consulting company, sell products on eBay and Etsy and Amazon and other marketplaces. Like there are ways to make money without having to get a job a full-time job. And so I think patience is really important. It's something we lack because everyone wants instant gratification, but the best things in life take time. You know, whether it's, you know, Greg, your girlfriend and that relationship you have with her, your voyage to getting this next book published, it's not happening in two days. Right. And so what I would say is I've, I remember reading this article, I think it was four years ago in the New York Post. This woman applied for 4,600 jobs and didn't get one offer. This whole wow. spray it and pray it thing, it just doesn't work. Like how I got my job was I was so dedicated to wanting a job at this company that I spent eight months meeting 15 people for three positions until I got it. Uh, I'll always remember the manager who hired me we had an informal meeting at their cafeteria. It wasn't even an interview, but I turned it into an interview, right? And so I stood out mm-hmm. and I got the job over a director of Polaroid, which is, you know, back then wow. they, a lot of those directors were looking for new jobs because they were hurting, right? Uh, but still, it's it's just the hustle. It's the never giving up and, and persistence with some patience over time is, is really the, the secret, um, I didn't get, I wanted a job, uh, internship at Reebok when I was in college. It took me a year and a half to get it because they only wanted to give the internships to the sons and daughters of executives, which happens at a lot of the, a lot of companies, especially big brand name companies. Mm-hmm. But I was patient. I'm like, I'm getting an internship here. And so I got it. It's about patience with persistence. And yeah, I think I wouldn't be able to give the same advice maybe 20 years ago before social media. I just, it just, the opportunities weren't there, but now we're in a really interesting situation where there's no real rush. Why not? Because here's the thing. If you build something on your own, a podcast, a blog, some sort of media entity, you're going to be able to get connected to the people who can hire you. Why, why apply for a job on a corporate website and pray to God you, you get an interview when you could have a podcast like this, interview someone who's the CEO of some marketing company you want to work for, and then meet that person in real life after the interview because they already know you and you've already promoted their work and then have a chance at getting that job. 
So it's being yeah. being creative in the new economy. It's not doing what everyone else has always done. It's using technology and media as a way to connect with people who are in power positions and can really have a huge impact in your career, whether they hire you, whether they refer you. A lot of this is also about timing. So even if someone can't hire you or refer you to a job today, they have you in the back of their mind. So if something comes up, they think of you first. Yeah. So yeah, it's a long game. It's a lo- I'm going to do this till I'm dead. So making yeah. deci- making short-term decisions is easy if you know what you want to do for the rest of your life. But I started work when I was 13 years old. I had my first internship in high school, seven more in college, my first business sophomore year of college. Everything mm-hmm. over time has added up, right? So what I would do if I was young, especially, is have as many experiences as possible, but also create something of your own. Create your own asset, a podcast, a blog, a you know, Amazon business, something that you could leverage into an additional income, even if you have a job, uh, full, even if you get a full-time job and just to learn about business. I got yeah. my MBA by starting my own magazine. I was managing a hundred contributors. This is with a full-time job, managing a hundred contributors, two editors, you know, I, I published it quarterly. I did the marketing. I, I did all the ad sales. I did everything for it. So I, that's my own education. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's been years since I published the magazine, but a lot of the skills I learned back then, I still practice today. So you can actually right. give yourself your own education. I truly believe that, but you have to put the work in. And I'm still, you know, everyone starts with zero. And to me, this is, this is very promote yourself-esque, right? It's like the power of one is what I discuss and promote yourself in the introduction. You know, it all mm-hmm. it takes is one opportunity, one person who can make a huge impact and all you need is that one person to move forward. And that's really helped me psychologically. And everyone starts with zero, right? You don't just become influential. You have to earn the influence, as you know, building a podcast influence and selling a book and everything. For me, I had z- when I first started my blog, zero readers, zero comments, no traffic, and I just kept building and building every single day, 12 posts a week, commenting on every blog that mentioned personal branding, just worked my heart out to grow that. And everything came from there. You know, same here. I, I pretty much started again from zero with Instagram and I've been growing that, but I've been doing the same strategies as I did with my blog, right? I'm posting twice a day, seven days a week, commenting on three to seven other Instagram accounts every single day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And so I've grown what, like 17,000 followers in three months, but it's significant work. Nothing comes easy, but I wouldn't, you wouldn't appreciate anything that came easy anyway. So who cares? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what I'm, what I'm hearing and I, I, I just love that this is the point that we're, we're wrapping this up on because I think this is so practical for so many people. Um, I, first of all, you've got to create a scenario where you can afford to be patient. So whether that means taking the crappy job and holding on to it until something else is available um, or starting a side business or, or whatever it is, somehow you've got to create a scenario where you can afford to be patient. And then after that, it's it's about leveraging leveraging the technology, creating your own things so that you can stand out, allowing yourself opportunities to, to uh, apply in creative ways. And obviously there's so much effort required in that that you can only be 
you can only do it with specific companies. You can only do it with the companies you really, truly care about and want to work with. And, and so that ends up becoming a really nice byproduct. Would you say that's a good sort of like wrap up? Yeah, I think the more positivity you put into the world, the more you lead into who you actually are instead of living through others and their expectations, the more successful you'll become because being yourself mm -hmm. is your greatest differentiator. It's something that can't be replicated. Um, in yeah. Me Too 2.0, <laughs> going way back to when I was 22, 23 years old, uh, I said, be the real you. Everyone else has taken and replicas don't sell for as much. Hmm. Absolutely love that. Dan, this has been such an incredible interview. We we I I personally got to to sort of flex my my interests and touch on so many different facets of uh, being an employee, being a manager, being in in the higher levels and and just all of what I think back to human is really trying to accomplish. So I appreciate you so much for, for being willing to share everything and, and be open with us. Uh, how can we connect with you? When can we buy the book? Where can we buy it? What, what can we do next? Yep. Back to human, how great leaders create connection in the age of isolation is available on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles on November 13th. Uh, you can listen to my podcast, five questions with Dan Shabell. Go to my website, danshawbell.com, S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com. And there's a free assessment called the Work Connectivity Index, workconnectivityindex.com, which will tell you what your connectivity score is, aka the strength of the relationships you have with your teammates, which is so important in that, you know, happiness is other people. There's like a whole New York Times column called mm -hmm. happiness is other people. I think it's so true. I mean, you're a product of your surroundings and who you spend time with. Absolutely. Absolutely love that. Dan, again, thank you so much for being here and thank you to the listener for spending some time with us. I, I really appreciate your attention. It honestly means the world to me. If you haven't already, uh, first of all, connect with Dan. He is at Dan Shawbell on Instagram uh, or his website, danshawbell.com. Uh, connect with him. Let him know how much you love the episode and, uh, and, and buy the book. And then after you're done with that, click that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. If it's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, SoundCloud, wherever it is, click the thing. And uh, I obviously would super appreciate that. And with all of that said, thank you for listening. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day. Every day.